Good evening. Man, I don't think I could have asked for a better uh, setup on uh, the hymn sing for that one. We are uh, talking about Christ's returning tonight, and uh, our text this evening is Matthew 24, 36 through 51. You can find that on page 830 of your pew Bible. This section comes from what is called the Olivet Discourse. It's when uh, Christ is on Mount Olive with uh, his disciples, and he's talking about things both near and far, vague and precise, and he ends it um, by, with this passage. But whereas the passage prior talked about maybe the fall of Jerusalem um, or the, the end of the age, he shifts to the people in front of him. He shifts to the disciples. He shifts to the church. And so I don't have to deal, not deal, I don't have to try and explain the seals and the bowls and all the prophecies that the pastors have before, but I get the privilege and also the, the burden of preaching to you all because this text is about us. So read with me, um, starting in verse 36, Matthew 24 through 51. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thus ends the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, you have given us this text, a piercing text, and I ask that you use this crooked text, person, individual, to proclaim this text so it may keep us on the straight and narrow. Father, you know our lives, you know our desires, and I ask that we look to your scripture, to your word for guidance, not our own desires, not our own wants, but to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So our posture matters. Our posture is how we approach things. And our posture is all the more important when we're studying Scripture. 
And the opening verse of this passage has been talked about, studied, um, produced many controversies, but I think it also provides the posture that we need for the rest of the passage. So read with me again verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So you see, at the, at the first reading, it's kind of a head-scratcher. You know, how could Jesus not know something that the Father knows? I mean, he himself says in John that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So therefore, it would go to a logical end that he should know everything that God knows. And yet Paul, thankfully, provides clarity. He says in Philippians chapter 2, who, that being Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So God the Son, equal to God the Father, there is no smudging or blurring between the, his man his, his man and his God. He is distinct. And the only way he's able to say honestly that I don't know is by saying, because he's humbled himself. He said, I am not going to know that. And another way that he's humbled himself is that he said, you know, I'm going to feel hunger. I'm going to feel pain. I'm going to feel weariness. And so as we think about this, Christ's humility, the fact that he was okay not knowing, allow that to be our posture as we study the rest of it. Because we can be prideful and say, well, I'm going to know. I'm going I'm to find out the mathematical equation to when Jesus will return, or all the clues will come together, and I'm going to figure it out. Or we can be like Christ and say, it's okay not knowing. So with that, let's approach the rest of the text. And I think the, the rest of the text gives us a clear burden, and that is be alert. Christians, be alert. And you can be alert in three ways, You're, or you, too, you are to be alert in three ways. To be awake, be ready, and be faithful. Be awake, be ready, and be faithful be alert. It was um, September 8th, 1900, and Galveston, Texas, which uh, for those of you who don't know is a barrier island just across from Houston, and in the late 1800s it was, it was on its way to being a major metropolitan city. I mean, it was the port of Texas was likened to that of Charleston and New York at the time. It was a booming city, a population of about 35,000 people. And so September 8th rolls around, and about 3 p.m. there's a weather report. The clouds are getting a little darker. The waves are kind of, you know, getting a little more um, fierce, if you will. But that's about it. The people of Galveston go to bed, and a third of them never wake up. A Category 4 hurricane raged through Galveston. Not a, not a single weather alert was given. No sort of warning was provided. 
And the people of Galveston looked around, and their entire island had been destroyed. The equivalent of $700 million worth of damage. Six to 12,000 people dead. And then I wonder, what would it have been like if they had the modern technologies? I mean, I mean, April is a great example. I mean, we got weather alert after weather alert after weather alert. Like, you know, we, we were able to track tornadoes and we're able to track hurricanes when they're off the coast of Africa. So what if they had an alert? They would have acted. They would have said, we're getting out of here, we're going to mainland Texas. Or at least we're going to, you know, batten down the hatches. That if they would have had an alert, they would have acted. So my question for you tonight is, do you live in light of the warning given? Are you being alert? Christ wants his church to be awake. When he returns for it, it'll come unexpectedly. And, but Jesus understands our heart. He understands that we want the knowledge of God. We, we desire that. And yet, he gives us that posture of humility, saying, you've got to be okay not knowing. And so in his humility, Christ goes on to say that his coming will be like the judgment seen in the days of Noah. Read with me the verses uh, 38 through 39. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came. And swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so the the men and women of Noah's generation, they were going on as if nothing was going to happen. They were eating. They were drinking. They were being merry, if you will. And they were marrying each generation. But as we know from Genesis 6, every thought and desire was evil continually. And so God judged them in his precise time. It wasn't just a, oh, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm bringing the floods. It was in his exact timing. And as we see in 1 Peter 3.20, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So his patience waited. And in fact, Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter that Noah was faithfully preaching to, this, to these people. I think we often think about Noah as being kind of a recluse, of just like building his ark over in the countryside, not really near people. But we have to remember that this generation was being preached to, saying, repent, judgment is coming. Because our God is abounding in steadfast love and mercy, but he also is righteous and demands justice. And so just because you don't know when something is going to happen, doesn't mean you can plead ignorance when it does happen. I think about um, when I was growing up, both my parents worked. And so summer, they would go off to work and they'd leave a list of chores for me and my sister to do. And the garage would go down. And I would turn on the TV, go to my friend's house, do basically anything but the chores. And, um, but then 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock would roll around, and I would, all right, what do we need to do? And try and bust them all out in about an hour and try and get it all done. And it would, it would be okay, you know. It definitely wasn't great 
work ethic by any stretch. But then the inevitable happened. Then, you know, say three o'clock rolls around and the garage door rolls up and I'm, oh no. <laughs> uh, and so I've got an entire list of chores that has not been done. And I, and I rush downstairs and say, what are you doing home early? Like, it would have been done if you had just come when you were supposed to. And so you see, you already see the irony. We, we, we think in our finiteness that, oh, we know, you know, we know that we have a certain amount of time. It's, it's all good. I'll, I'll get around to it. My, my teens, my 20s, my 30s, that's for me, God. You know, the rest, nah, I can, that's when I'll get around to you. That's when I'll be faithful. Do we presume upon the Lord? We must be awake because Jesus is returning. And Christ additionally provides two images, one of two men working the field and two women working the mill. And Christ plays upon the suddenness of their departure. He's saying that there will be no time to run back home and get you know, the things from the house, and there will be no time to repent. It'll be as quick as someone just disappearing And now I'm sure as, if, as you were reading this, you know, your kind of theological eschatology, bells and whistles were going off. Like, is this a proof text for, you know, the rapture? And I would say no. But I would also say, and more say, that that's also not the point. Because if you focus on that, then you miss the next command. Read with me. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Christian, be alert. You must stay awake. Do not be lulled to sleep thinking that you have a guaranteed amount of time or that you'll repent when judgment gets here. You know, you'll, you'll just do it just before judgment arrives. To be alert, you must be awake. Read with me uh, verses 43 and 44 as Christ continues his urging. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we are to be awake and we are to be ready. You can kind of view being awake as a passive responsibility. Just being cognitive, if you will. But being ready, that's an active responsibility. We don't know the time, but we need to be ready. The example of the thief in the night is used several times throughout the New Testament. Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians, and then Christ uses it again to talk about himself as a thief in the night in Revelation 16.15. And so our active preparation is by understanding that we must be ready, like a a faithful homeowner who would sit up all night waiting for the thief to catch him in the act. And to kind of, again, put it in modern context, you know, uh, an alert goes out on neighborhood.com or, you know, your Facebook page. Oh, had a break-in on our street. Oh, me too. So there's a serial break-in. So what do you do? Do you just say, oh, no, I'm, 
I'm going to see if I get lucky. Maybe you won't break in. No, you set up a security system. Or you set up maybe a neighborhood watch. Like, you're active. You're trying to prevent being broken into. That pushes you to act, to be ready. And again, we're given this warning from Christ. And does it push us to action, to be ready? Do we act the same way? Or maybe it's just when there's a war that breaks out. Or a natural disaster hits the television screen. And we're like, this could be it. But how long does that stay in our, you know, the front of mind? Is it just one news cycle? And then we're back to normal? Are you a Christian doomsday prepper? And I don't mean that in a satirical way. I mean it very seriously. I mean, you know, you think about, I haven't actually seen it, but I've seen the advertisements on Discovery, I think, the doomsday prepper, and that's what they think about. Everything is centered around the end of the world. They've made all the preparations. They've got the food. They've got the water. They've got the bunker. And so I ask you again, are you a Christian doomsday prepper? Do you act like Christ is coming? That that is the axis in which everything revolves. And I don't, I don't stand up here acting like this text doesn't pierce me too. Know that. But also feel the piercing too. Do we also approach our relationships this way too? Our neighbor, Easter, man, missed that. I guess I'll just invite him when Christmas, Christmas rolls around. Or that family, family member, it would just be too awkward. I would strain the relationship of I brought up Christ. You might be ready, but are they? I mean, that's, we've, and that leads us into our next point. We must be faithful. We see this in verse 45 through 51. Read with me. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Christ gives us a third and final illustration. We are, we are to be, how we are supposed to act in the interim period. And we are provided with the contrast of servants. And Christ has been providing contrasts in the previous examples. We had Noah and the rest of creation. We had um, the, the man at the, at the, in the field, the woman in the mill. We had the diligent homeowner and the irresponsible homeowner. But now we get to the servants, and there's, there's a little bit extra there. There's a little more responsibility. Because these servants had a, 
had a goal, or they had a task, they had work before them. They were to maintain and be responsible with what the master had given them. And so Christ has gone from general that I'm returning and, I, and the world won't know when to speaking to his church. He's saying, You are the servants. Will you be faithful? We must remember that though we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, it is not like our sins just don't exist. Our lives will be held and evaluated, the good and the bad. And we are covered by the blood of Christ, which is beautiful. But being faithful in this life, we must be. Because we can either be like the faithful servant, or we can be like the wicked servant, who is not faithful, who delights in ruining and destroying the things of his master. And I would say, frankly, if you delight in what is wicked, then your fruits are not in Christ. And Christ is clear. He will cut you up and throw you in hell. And that's not a comfortable thing to say, but it is what is true. We must be faithful. And it's not just checking the boxes of, you know, going to church, reading your Bible, and that is being faithful. It's a matter of where your heart is. And when you see this in the evil servant, because where is his heart? His heart is on himself. He wants to be, he wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to usurp that authority. He wants to be the master and destroy. Thinking back to the summer chores. Now in the perspective of a parent. I mean, how often do you get to go home early from work? You raise the garage, and you see that none of the chores have been done. That disappointment on an earthly level. And then going to me, trying to rationalize, well, if you would have just come home when you were supposed to. (laughs) When it should have been joy. I'm so glad you're home early. We get to play catch. We get to, you know, be together. You're home. That's what we have to look forward to on an eternal scale. Christ is coming, and it is going to be the most wonderful day. It's going to be fear-inducing. We read that. But it's going to be wonderful. And so... We need to be faithful. We are to be alert. We are to be awake. We are to be ready. We are to be faithful. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, you have given this text to us. A beautiful warning. A warning that is encouraging because it promises your return. Father, I ask that 
you allow this text to seep into our hearts so that we may be changed by your spirit so that we may live accordingly to be faithful. Father, continue just to be with us each and every day. In Christ's name I pray, amen.